Hey, welcome to Kings for Christ. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. We pray that today's message touches your spirit and that you're able to take something from it and grow. And we pray that you enjoy it. Thank you. So, hello and good morning, fellas. Uh, thank you for showing up today, this morning, and being a part of our Bible study today. We will be going through Matthew 5 today. And yeah, just simple. It's not simple. Similar to how you always run it. Uh, you know, we go through the chapter, people take turns in the verses, and then we'll just talk afterwards and see what the Lord has revealed to us, uh, what things are sticking out to us, and just let the spirit move. So, yeah, I'll go ahead and pray us in, and we'll go from there. Dear Lord, God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for um, allowing us to be here this morning uh, to go through some scripture, God, to learn about you, to learn about our faith. Um, and really just to grow as men, as we navigate through this life, I ask, Lord, that you would make this message clear to us, oh God, that we would have understanding for everything that is being said and spoken, things that are clear, um, and that we're able to truly have, have some great conversations, um, that we're able to learn from one another as, as we learn from you, um, and that you would eliminate any distractions that the enemy may have, so that we can really just be focusing on today. Thanks all these things that we've done in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. So, yeah, let's get into it. Matthew chapter five. All right. The Sermon on the Mount. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor, realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth, but what is good if salt, if it has lost its flavor, can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out, trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you cause someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, Settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, 
you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say to you, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. For you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Man, that was definitely a lot to, to unpack within this one chapter. One thing that I, that I kind of wanted to, to start off by addressing, the part where it talks about that you are the salt of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that because you can kind of look at that in a couple of different ways. And so originally, when I when I seen it, um, I'm thinking like salt at this time was probably used as a, like a preservative, like something to kind of keep food, um, like to preserve food so that it wouldn't go bad quickly. And so to me, it was kind of like saying that God is telling us that we are to kind of like preserve this world so that way it, it doesn't turn bad or doesn't turn evil. Um, so we should be using our salt. But uh, well, salt can also be used to, to add flavor to things because it's a seasoning. And so in another sense, you can look at it as like, you know, we are to add flavor into this world. We are to like, you know, kind of spice some things up because um, people constantly can kind of live for the world and, and live for their own self. But it's like, let's let's do something else. You know, let's let's spice it up. Let's let's actually like live for God. Let's go against what we think is the normal, you know. And, and I'm sure there's, you know, there's other uses that you can have for salt uh, because I mean technically just a little bit of salt can bring out the flavor of something so in another sense you can look at it as like we can be in this world to bring out the flavor or to bring out the gifts that other people may have so they can see what the purpose really is and what they can what they're really capable of doing you know I was kind of even thinking of like going off of that like as using salt as a uh, as like a flavor I kind of look at it like almost like Cause salt is not a necessity for food. Like you don't really need it. You know, in, in the same instance that like in all actuality, God's will will happen regardless if we're 
are part of it or not. So like God doesn't need us, you know what I mean? But we add something to it. We add something to the body of Christ to like help kind of, I don't want to say make it better, but like, you know, we add, we, we just add to it. Yeah. So this always kind of confused me going to uh, 27 and 28. So it says, uh, you have heard that it was said to, uh, to those of you old, uh, to, not commute, to not commit adultery. But I say to you, those who look at a woman in lust has already committed adultery in his heart. So then if adultery is when you cheat when you're married, is that right? Mm-hmm. So if you're not married and you lust as, like, with a woman with your eyes, is what is is that still considered adultery if you're not married? To me, I, I think of it as like because adultery is sleeping with someone that's that's not your spouse. And so in a sense, you know, if you if you're lusting after a woman and you're not married to her, she's you know not just not your spouse. Like even if y'all end up being married like one day, like in that moment, you know, she's she's not your spouse. So I, I kind of, that's kind of like my, my take on this. Like, yeah, in a sense, it's still considered adultery because, you know, that woman is, is not your spouse. And, um, you know, you looking at it like, you know, she's as if she's not more than just um, someone to sleep with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. But I mean, like, I feel like, well, I guess what I'm saying is like to commit adultery, like, well, let's say in today's term to cheat on, let's say to cheat on your wife. You have to mm-hmm. be married to cheat on your wife. So if you're not married, like like me, I'm not married. I never was married. So let's say if I look at a woman in lust, did I cheat? I mean, well, like, did I really commit adultery? Because technically, I'm I was I'm not I'm single right now. I'm not in a relationship with nobody. I'm not married to nobody. Well, does this only apply to people who are married? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say this: we should probably go back and read it. And maybe pull up another verse, um, another version as well. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. If anybody has it in a different version from the NLT. Yeah, I can pull it up. King James Version says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you that whosoever looketh on a woman for lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So, I mean... I, I think that, yeah, like to uh, to Drew's point, what is adultery says do not commit adultery. Volu- adultery is voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. So for you to commit adultery, you you would have to be married and you would have to have you having sex with someone outside of your marriage. And so maybe that specific command was towards people that are married so that makes sense, you know. But at the same time, it's like there's still like fornication, which is just sex out of marriage, just in general. So, I mean, I've always looked at it as like you just shouldn't be looking at a woman lustfully anyway, whether you're married or not. And like, if you've already looked at a woman and you've already thought about like what you're gonna do with them and all that stuff, then is that the same way as like you've committed adultery in your heart? Is that the same way as like committing fornication in your heart? Because we also called not to have sex outside of marriage. But if you're looking at a woman lustfully and thinking all the things you can do with them, then you're committing fornication in your heart too, just as much as you would be committing adultery in your heart if you was married. So um, to answer your question, Drew, they're not the same. Jesus is just trying to make a point that they're both a sin. And they both hold weight, even though obviously adultery, it holds more weight as far as sleeping with another woman while you're married. That's not your wife. Okay, I see what you're saying. Like, so this verse doesn't really apply to people who are not married, but in the same sense, just because you're not married, it's like you still committing lust, like you still being lustful, which is is a sin. As is a, a sin that almost holds the same weight. Right. Well, I mean, it, it applies to people that you know aren't married as well. Like me looking at another woman lustfully is just as it's not just as bad, but it holds, it's a sin just as much as me sleeping with another woman outside of my marriage. Okay. If I'm making sense. I feel what y'all saying. I feel what y'all trying to say. It's making sense to me, at least. 
Because, you know, we can, you know, as men, you think, oh, you know, there's nothing wrong with looking. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus, you know, he knows us, you know, God created us. He knows us. He knows our tendencies. And we've all been around men that you're like, oh, it's okay to look, you know, even if they married, oh, it's okay to look, you know, but it's not. And I'm not saying like go blind, but I'm, we all know the the looking that this is referencing, like looking extra hard. You are you playing it like, oh, if I had her, these are the things I would do for her. Or you already started undressing her in your head. Yeah. OK. OK. And it's like, you know, that's already committing adultery in your head. Like you already going through the motion in your head. And it's not to the sense, you know, people will use, well, I already committed adultery in my heart. So I might as well go ahead and do it. No, it's not the same. This Jesus is trying to prove a point. Like, this is a sin. Like, this is not something that's okay. And the world will tell you, like, things like this is okay. You're not actually sleeping with her. All you're doing is thinking about it. You're not actually sleeping with her. You know, God knows our heart. God knows our thoughts. And we can't think to ourselves that, oh, because we didn't act it out, it's not a sin. I know it's a scripture that says it's the small foxes that destroy the vine. So in keeping, mm-hmm. like, in that, like lust, obviously he says it's a sin, but it's also, I feel like it, it leads to what it leads to. Like, if you're thinking about it, now you're going to try to act on it. And then, yeah. like, lust yeah. in your heart, though that is a sin, it's like you don't have a soul tied to that person. Or you don't have no, you know what I mean? You don't have that yet because you lust in your heart. But when you keep that lust there, then you're trying to move forward to that. So then now you move from just beating your heart to being like, now your your soul is tied to another person, which is, in my opinion, is worse. Yeah, I mean, you gotta think ninety nine point nine percent of sins start with a thought. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I think it's interesting that that Jesus like he speaks to the heart because, like y'all was saying, like our actions like they come from what is in our heart or what is in our thoughts, and so it's like a lot of times you gotta work on like what's in your heart. So like a few scriptures is like uh, that one about like when, when David was saying like create me a clean heart so that I may not sin against you. Or then that word, that one scripture that says like, how does a young man stay pure? I hide the word in my heart. And then it's like out of the heart, the mouth speaks or wherever a man's heart is, that's where his treasure lies. So it's like in this, in this passage, it's like if you already looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed the sin in your heart. And once you've committed the sin in your heart, then it's like you're more likely to act out on that, you know, if it's already in your heart. And so it's like we really got to like think about like what's your where your heart is at, what's your heart posture, what are your thoughts at, because that's it's eventually going to show itself in your actions. And so like what are you putting into your heart? What are you feeding feeding your heart or whatever? And so I think that's just important, interesting how he points that out in that part. When you think about it. I mean, there are some like trash men in the world, but it's like most men that's like going go out and cheat. Like it started with a thought. It went like the first time they had the thought, they went out and did it. It was like they got into an argument with their wife or whatever, and it's like you know what, I can go be with somebody else. And the thought happened, happens again. You thinking about it, happens again. You thinking about it, and then you get to the point where you are thinking about it so much, it's like now nah, I'm a might as well just go ahead and do it. So I, I think it's just like Jesus is trying to prove the point that our, you know, our thoughts matter and they hold weight. And it's like you start sinning in your heart. Eventually, you're going to carry out the action of the sin. And it's like as men and just as human beings, we got to be careful of the things we let come into our heart. And like it's just if we do, because it's just that much easier to fall, whether that be pornography or whatever, you know, that's not of God, it typically starts off as a thought. Like, not too many people is just like, oh, I'm a sin without thinking about it. I like to shed light on a verse that talks about, uh, it says teaching about divorce. 32, excuse me, it says, but I'm not saying that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commit adultery. So I just want to talk about when a man and wife divorce um, and you remarry. So how do you make sure that that person hasn't already been married? And how is that a sin? How is that uh, adultery? Because both people are divorced. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that, too, because kind of like yeah. 
if it, like even if they divorce, let's say if they divorce and it's not because somebody cheated. Mm-hmm. That's what it's talking about, sexual immorality. So like if they just got a divorce, nobody cheated. Is it like wrong to remarry again or yeah? But also it says don't marry a woman who's already been divorced. So like how yeah. does that like I don't understand because both people are divorced. Is it the fact that you made commitment to God and, and then you were supposed to be single the rest of your life, or how does that work? Or is it only a man who can remarry and then a woman doesn't? Like how what are the dynamics of that um, relationship and how is it established? I think from verse 32, this is just my thought. He's saying anybody who marries a woman that's divorced also commits adultery. Um, If she divorced not on the basis of the biblical ways that we can legally divorce. Okay, which is uh, cheating. Yes, but not even cheating. Like in the world today, cheating is, you know, texting another woman. But, you know, God's eyes is if you sleep with another person. Yeah. I think another scripture also talks about you can divorce if your husband becomes an unbeliever. Mm. So I think there's three ways they die. <laughs> mm-hmm. They become unbeliever. And like, you, no matter how much you pray and um, try to shed light, they just won't, you know, they turn away from God. And mm. then if they um, have sexual intercourse with somebody else, but he's saying like, if you marry a woman, and her previous husband didn't sleep with anybody else or didn't become an unbeliever and you marry her, you're also committing adultery. Because in that case, you're sleeping with somebody who's technically in God's eyes still a married woman. Okay. To me, I think it's just showing that how significant marriage is and how important it is. And it's not something that you should just be like, you know, playing around with they're just doing just because you want to have fun or you everybody else is doing it so i'm just get married marriage is supposed to be a reflection of the relationship between christ and the church and so when you look at what christ did for the church the amount that he's sacrificed the amount of love um, even giving up his life so that the church could live this is like this is someone that you are going to love and be with for like the rest of your life so divorce shouldn't even be like a thought when it comes to marriage. Like this is someone that you're supposed to be unified with, you know, for the rest of your life, someone that you do a ministry with, like your best friend, like this is marriage is something that's significant and important. And it's not just something that's just like, you know, I'm tired of you. Let's get a divorce. Like what? No, like figure this out. Like this is, this is a relationship, you know, let's not just end it on stuff. We need to, you know, come up with some type of plan, put Christ back in the center do something. We we just not just go, you know, break it off just so I can marry somebody else and get something else that I'm not getting. Like and and to me it's just so significant and so important as to like why we shouldn't be playing around with marriage and why it's important to like really get to know who a person is before you just hop into the marriage. I was thinking that because Q did just, just describe the three things that in God's eyes makes it okay for you to divorce a woman, which is uh cheating unbelief what was the third one dead oh oh yeah dead okay obviously but then i kind of thought about like what if like a man is like abusing his wife because i know a lot of people like in today's day and age like, that's kind of what's going on and it sounds kind of harsh but i, I kind of get after what you just said Zig, it's kind of like sometimes i've never been in an abusive, abusive relationship and i didn't grow up seeing too many of that but um I think sometimes somebody have a different opinion. I, re- I really want to hear, but like, I feel like sometimes maybe that's just a sign that you didn't really get to know that person all the way, or you didn't get truly get a full understanding of who that person was before you decide to marry that person. And then now you, or like you married too quick. I know people who done, like my auntie has, did that and her husband ended up being abusive. And I felt like she kind of married quick, but I don't know. I don't know how long it takes to, to really get to know somebody. I feel like most people out here, like they've been dating for two years and then they get married. But like, I don't know. What does somebody else have a different opinion? Like when it comes to like being abused by uh, uh, abuse in a relationship period. If you go to first Corinthians chapter seven, verse, I think it's verse eight. No, verse 10 it says, but for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. 
So in an abusive relationship, like you can leave, you can't go out and remarry. You know, unless obviously he goes out and sleeps with somebody else. But if he doesn't, it says a wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. So even in that situation, that's you got the option to leave. You just can't marry anybody else. That's a good point. Okay. Have you guys ever heard the, uh, the scripture that says the power of sin is the law? First Corinthians 15 and 56. It says the sting of death, this is shocking, is sin. The power of sin is the law. So we're, if you think about what you guys are talking about, you're sitting here talking about, can you do this or can you do that? If the power of sin is the law, where does law get its power from? In the legal system, in the United States or in any country, what gives its legal system, its police, its judges, its attorney, its power? The evil that's done in the world. That's it. There's, there's no evil in this world. There's no wrongs that are being committed. You know, there's no purpose for police or judge or lawyers or anything like that because everyone would be doing good. Exactly. Go to verse, this whole thing starts in verse 17. So if you read verse 17, because all Jesus is actually quoting from verse 21 and forward are the laws given in the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 17. It says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I have not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. The law actually identifies sin. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But watch this. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How do you gain righteousness? Through Jesus. That's it. I mean, that's, again, I think we talked about this last week, like, the only way we can be righteous is through Jesus. Like, um, we, like we talked about the other religions, you got to do all these things, but ours is Jesus. And uh, Q even said, like, without Jesus, our whole foundation will be nothing. Exactly. So I like what Ezekiel said earlier. The only way to actually have this accomplished in our life, if we focus on the rules and how we can, and what the rules mean, you're just kind of really focusing on the actual sin, and you're actually giving it power. But when you focus on Christ, like Ezekiel said, who lives in us and how a marriage is so important and Jesus gave his life for the church, then that's how you're actually able to be righteous through Christ. And you're able to learn to love your wife and you're learn to, okay, now I looked at that other girl. We've all done it. I've done it, right? Like, dang, what would I do with her? But the only way to conquer that is to let your righteousness exceed the righteousness because Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. And people never talk about in the law, there is the sacrifice for sins, who is Christ. He rises from the dead to prove to the world that he's righteous. Therefore, if we live in him, our righteousness and we are the righteousness of God in Christ, we can then begin to fulfill loving our wives, not wanting to murder one another. He's trying to get us to focus on him. Then he lives through us towards others. That's just my, my thoughts. No, I think that that's why so many like new Christians or people outside the faith fail because they look at it as a bunch of rules rather than focusing on the relationship with Jesus. And you think about why we sin in the first place. 
because we don't focus on Jesus and we want to do what we want to do and our flesh just takes over. Because even when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about divorce, he was like, I'm only saying these because I know you guys are, you can't forgive. It wasn't because, oh, this is the reason to leave. It's like, no, this is because you don't focus on me and you don't have the heart to forgive. Teach. Wow. Like growing up, I'm not some kids just think, oh, my parents didn't say this explicitly so i'm gonna do it even though you know it's wrong and like christians do the same things like oh it don't say this explicitly in the bible so that means i can do it and so it's like instead of just focusing on growing a relationship with god we focus on trying to jump through loopholes to see what we can get away with it it's like i didn't technically sin you know and like that's why jesus has to point out right here what we're talking about in the first place about committing adultery by looking at another woman. Because you got to imagine the Pharisees was probably like, oh, I can look at another woman. I can undress her with my head. It don't say it explicitly in the law to not do this. But like, if you got a relationship with God, something inside you is going to convict you that, oh, this is wrong. But instead of focusing on the relationships and the convictions that the Holy Spirit gives us, we try to go to the Bible and say, oh, this, it don't explicitly say this. Right. It's not written in bold letters. Do not do this. So I, I must be able to do it. I kind of had a question because I was talking to somebody this week and, and they was talking about how like we as just humans, boys and girls, like men and women, like we have we were created to like reproduce like our the way our bodies was functioning, like the way our bodies were made. It's like we're supposed to be attracted to other people like i mean other, like other opposite sex like we're supposed to like look at like if a woman's pretty like you know what i mean like it, the way my body is set up like i'm the first thought of my mind like oh she kind of cold like she you feel me she fine not saying like oh my god i want to do this with her. i'm just saying like just be like oh she she's fine like she's pretty and it's like somebody had asked the question it was talking about how do we balance that thing between obviously guys not saying don't never say a woman's pretty. Can't don't look at women every time women walk by, close your eyes. You know what I mean? Ain't ain't nothing like that. But it's just like, how do you balance that that genuine attraction that you're supposed to have for the opposite sex between that lust that you have for the opposite sex? Like, how do you how do you balance that? And like, how do you? I don't. She they kind of ask like, why would God make us this way if it leads to lust? I think the answer is in Genesis. So when God created Adam and Eve, it wasn't until they sinned that their eyes were open, right? So that means that when God created Eve, he, he didn't name her, he called her woman, right? Because she was taken out of man, but he didn't see her in that way. He saw her as his help keep, the one who he goes to war with, right? The one who he takes dominion with. So he saw her in a complete different way. You know what I'm saying? You know, he saw her. I mean, you really think about it. You really think about the greatness of many women. Think about all the great men you see in the world. And all of them have like great women behind them. All of them have like great women behind them. So when Adam and Eve fell, their eyes were open, they were naked, and they became ashamed, right? So the whole view of each other just completely changed when we fell. So God created us perfect in the beginning, and we fell. So that's why we have those feelings, you know, you know where we don't think about it. That's why we look at women first sexually and not for the power of what God created them to be. I was thinking along with um, Alonzo said, as far as like, it's easy. We've just been corrupted. And, and, you know, it wasn't originally created for us to be this way. And it's like, you think about, you know, men that go to a strip club. I heard somebody say this on like a podcast or something. Like you go to a strip club and when a woman starts talking, it's like, yo, what are you doing? Get back to dancing. Why are you talking? And it's like, we view women as objects instead of people. And that's that's where the corruption comes from. Once you start viewing them as objects, that's when it becomes 
there's a line between lust and just looking them at, at them because of their beauty, because you dwindled them down to an object rather than a human being. Like you look at porn, like if, imagine if a woman was talking the whole time. You'd be like, what the heck is this? <laughs> like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't want to know back. I don't want to know about your feelings. Like, get back to what I came here for. <laughs> just, like, just keeping it real. Like, you like you dwindle it down to an object, and that's when it becomes lust and that's why it becomes a problem because you don't see her as a human being or as an equal to you you see her as something that's an object that you use for your pleasure and gratification rather than somebody else with feelings and emotions just like you mm-hmm. you dwindled her down to object now it's like why can't i see a woman as beauty why well, i always look at it as lustful because you've dwindled her down to an object rather than something else that god created and put on this earth mm-hmm. wow that makes sense. Very well put. And also, I'm oh, sorry for the background there, but wanted also add that it's a heart issue. But when we're looking at a woman lustfully, your heart's perverted what you're seeing to what you can get from them. Lust mm-hmm. is all about what you can get from that for your own personal self-aggrandizement, which is mm-hmm. a very selfish thing, as opposed to how can I give to that person and make them better, make the situation better. And so like he mentioned earlier, Adam and Eve were first created. They didn't look at each other lustfully. They looked at being a partner together to doing what God, you know, enjoying life together and accompanying what purpose God had given them. Mm-hmm. But when their eyes were opened, they then changed it to, oh, how can I use this person to get what I want? It mm-hmm. became the pleasure that I can get from her, not the pleasure that I could give to her, but the pleasure I get from her. And she looked at him as the pleasure she can get from him and how she can maybe get work and house and job and car and money to get the things that make her happy to fill the void that only can be filled by God. Men looked at her for the pleasure and the intimacy and fulfillment that can only be filled by God. So it's a heart issue, which makes a difference. And I like to add too, like, that's why marriage is so important. Because when you get married and you belong to God, you accept that God as the man, you don't even view your partner as the world does. You view them as a helpmate, just like Mr. Bright said, and things of that nature. And because of that, you don't do certain things that you don't, even though you're allowed to, you don't even look at your woman as like, I'm just going to say what Q said, like you don't look at her in a certain way because you establish that relationship of, okay, this is me, you and God now, and I can't, and God is instructing me to lead you and I can't do certain things or put certain things on you now because I have a higher calling and that's to take care of you for the rest of your life. Wow. That's just one thing I learned with marriage. And that's why I took, that's another reason why it took me so long. Cause like, I was like, bro, I have to take care of her like in every way. And like God is instructing me and putting a responsibility on me to lead her. And I'm like, God, I don't know if I can do this, but God said, I don't need you to do that. I got it. I'm going to lead both of y'all, but I just need you to put trust in me to be able to lead the relationship. He'll give me all the tools I need to be successful. Well, then let me, I got a question now, because there's also a scripture that says, I think Paul said this. I don't know where he said it though, but he said something about if your companion or whatever, if it's like the urge to have sex is too strong, basically go ahead and get married or it's uh, better to, get married than to burn in lust. Yeah. Now I'm like, so that then I kind of look at it like, if God values marriage so much, then like, why would he just be like, all right, if y'all just can't stop touching each other, y'all might as well just put a, you feel me? They put a yeah. ring on them. Why, why not come up with a different solution? Like maybe <laughs> y'all shouldn't be together. Well, I could probably say something like, y'all shouldn't be together or something like that. But Drew, think about this. When you get married, you tie in everything. So, Okay, I'm gonna be honest. Like, before you get married, like, honestly, I don't even think about like before I got married, like, I wouldn't, my mind wouldn't even focus on sex because it's so much more that I have to do. Like, yes, sex is a thing in marriage, but it's so much more. Like, you literally have to take care of this person, like, for the rest of your life. You got to make sure that they have, like, they got clothes, a roof over their head. Like, yes, sex is fine, but like, it's so much more to marriage than just like, sex and taking like you gotta literally lay down your life every day to make sure that they have whatever whatever that they need something that i because i had to work through this a little bit ago 
um, with a mentor of mine. And I just, I came to him and I was like, you know, we were talking about a lot of stuff with like relationships um, because he's like my relationship mentor. Um, or him and his wife are like me and my girlfriend's like relationship mentors. Um, and so pretty much I was just like, you know, I'm gonna be real with you. I don't think I'll be able to like do this financially until I'm about like this age. And I told him, but in full transparency, like that's, that's a long time. And I just, I don't know how successful I'll be at that. And he was like, no, I get you. And there's nothing wrong with you, like being understanding of like your temptation level. And Paul isn't like, and I know you're not saying this, Drew, um, but Paul isn't just like, yeah, like if you're like super horny and you just can't control yourself, like just go ahead and get married and that'll like fix it because that's definitely not what Paul is saying. I think Paul is talking to people and like, you know, pretty much like looking at people and saying like, you know, if you can stay unmarried and not fall into temptation in that way, then that's like ideal. That's perfect. That's how God desires it. But if you're just like, you know, that like ready to go and it's kind of like you're like in line with everything else spiritually, but that's kind of like the only thing where you're just like, oh, but I'm lusting and I really like want to do this. Then it's like, Paul is like looking and saying like, okay, like if you can handle everything else pretty much and you're like being a responsible spiritual person outside of that less component and that's the only thing where you're kind of and not the only thing as in like you're perfect without it but like if that's the main thing that you're like struggling with then Paul is like okay maybe you should like think about getting married and there's nothing wrong with you like getting married and having sex and like being satisfied in that way if that makes sense yeah I get it I I see what you're saying that brought more clarity but it's just, I don't know, still just like, seems like it's just not as valued. Watch this, watch this, Drew. If you go back and read it, it's actually kind of shocking, right? So it's a, it's in First Corinthians, and it's in the seventh chapter, verse one. And listen to what he says. So this is Paul speaking. He says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife. So he's promoting marriage and let each woman have her own husband. Mm -hmm. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now watch what he says. But this I say by way of concession, not of command, right? Yet I wish, now this is, this is important. He says, I wish that all men were even as I am. So Paul was not married. However, let each man have his own gift from God, one to this manner and another in that. In other words, what Paul is actually saying is that when you're married, like uh, Rion said, there's a huge obligation to your wife and the wife to the husband. But Paul is saying, if you cannot be married, and you can be focused on God, life is going to be a little bit more easier for you because you don't have to focus on the other person. However, you need to exercise a whole lot of self-control. He says in verse eight, but I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, like Rian said and like Reggie said, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. So then that goes into what Marquette was saying. So in reality, what Paul is simply saying is, I wish that you could be unmarried and then you can be devoted to God. But if you ain't got self-control, <laughs> that, that ain't what God designed for you. <laughs> I think that's, that's kind of what... Uh, He's saying there to, to him. Makes more sense. So it's not him saying like that's what you need to do. It's like I would rather you do that. Correct. Yeah. Because okay. um, 
I'm reading the commentary and it says Paul is not speaking about what we might consider normal sexual temptation. It is one thing to burn, another to feel heat. What Paul calls burning here is not merely a slight sensation, but a being so aflame with passion that you cannot stand up against it. Yeah, that sounds like something else, to be honest. I ain't never had that. So, so, I, so I'm a, a follow-up to that. So if you do devote your whole life to Jesus, I mean, like, you don't you start, you decide not to get married. <laughs> how do you walk your whole life? Well, you did say a lot of self-control, Mr. Bright, but how do you walk your whole life without go ahead and say it? <laughs> um receiving a blessing from a woman that you're married to. Get <laughs> out of here. That's the best way to say it. Man, I, I, I don't even want to think about how that how that works but man i don't know literally it has to be christ like, there's no way but that i mean that's that's just kind of like what, what paul is saying though like his his allegiance to christ is knowing like you know what his purpose is and walking in it and really just relying on god is probably the only reason he's able to be in the position that he's in but also like even being in prison and still writing letters to people and still walking in his purpose and still being used by God. I mean, for me, there's no way that I'm, I'm in prison and I'm still thinking about other people. Like if I'm in prison, I'm thinking about how many days I got left until I get out, you know? So to me, it's just, it's just an testament of showing like how powerful God is. If we allow him to, to use us, if we are really in a position of submitting to him, if we're really allowing our hearts and our souls to say yes to him. Like there is literally nothing that can't be done. And also I think Paul was just trying to put an emphasis on saying that, you know, marriage is a something of God, even though, you know, I'm like, I'm gassing up what I'm doing as far as, you know, not getting married. I don't want me promoting singleness to make you think that getting married is not of God. Uh-huh. And he said, I think he told Timothy uh, preaching that marriage is, um, to not get married is a message of the demons. And so that's what he, he's in that. Cause you see, he talks about singleness as well. Like it's better to stay single. Cause then like Rian was saying, like you only got to focus on you and your relationship with God. You know, mm-hmm. even though you want to get married to have sex, it also, as a man, it also, even as a woman, you also have a responsibility to take care of your partner and worry about their spirituality as well. Mm-hmm. But if you're single, you only got to worry about you. I remember you know- reading that. Man, and being scared about like, am I being, am I called to be single? I remember reading that. So I was like, no, but as a side note, but it's amazing because when you read it at the end, like verse thirty-two to thirty-five, the objective is for you to be devoted to God. Mm. Think about it. Whether that's devoted to God being single, or whether that's being devoted to God being married. But if you're single and you're lusting after women, you're not devoted to God. You're devoted to that lust. Like uh, Mr. said, he said, you are, your, your mind is twisted, your heart. He says in verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. So he's, he's saying when you're unmarried, If you can be focused on how to please the Lord, you're in good shape. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided, and the woman is unmarried, and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own benefit, not to put a constraint upon you, but to promote what is seemly and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So think about Paul. He traveled all over Europe and Asia. It's hard to travel all the time. And I'm just going to tell you, someone who travels a lot for business, it's hard to travel all the time and be married because you're leaving what's at home. 
But Paul had to travel all over Asia and Europe. So therefore, he was designed to be devoted to God to do that. Now, if he found a wife who was also devoted to God and she was traveling with him, right, then, then that would work. But I think the objective is devotion to God. Yeah. I mean, it's because it's, it's a blessing for both and God can use both and both are powerful. But you even think about a pastor today, how much balance he has to exercise. Because like you, as a, as a married man, you still have a responsibility to your wife and your kids. But that's why a lot of pastors get caught up and they home not good because they're too busy, not too busy. I don't like the phrase I was going, but they, you know, they put a lot of emphasis on making sure the church grows, making sure the church is healthy, but your house not healthy. But it's like, if you were single, all you got to do is worry about you and the church. But as a married man, you got to worry about your wife, your kids, and the church. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to have, but it's, you know, like Paul was saying, it's easier if you're single. That's not saying, but he also, you put an emphasis, that don't mean to not get married. You were right when you were saying about the balance, because often it's viewed as being single. And I'm single, <laughs> not because I have some great gift of God upon me, to be quite honest, but just I haven't found the right person yet and situations, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, nevertheless, what I am saying is that it is easier in the sense that you don't have the responsibilities of a marriage, of that commitment to that relationship. But the flip side of it is it's also sometimes lonelier. And you're doing all these things by yourself, for yourself. So the biggest thing is to always keep your hand and your focus upon what God had you doing and where he had you in your life, knowing as long as you're fulfilling what he's told you to do, he'll give you the strength, he'll give you the wisdom, he'll bless your effort. And at the time you find that one that you want to share your life with, that she needs to be equipped to make that same walk with you. So as a pastor... You want to be able to make sure that not only are you pastoring, but your wife is also called to either assist you or to walk with you in that effort. That's the same in anything, any other job you may have. But it's important to realize marriage is a, bring, is a building of bringing two lives together to glorify God and to make him the focus and the center. And then to each of, each of you to help the other be all they can be in Christ and in themselves. And not to be selfish with it. What, what can you do for me? But how can I help you to be all God wants you to be? Thank you for adding that, because it, it, it sounded like we was going in the direction of, you know, saying marriage just takes you away from God. I think it, it definitely can, but you have to stay with the right mindset. Yeah. Also, too, I think that as the, um, well, I guess not necessarily as the man, but you have to keep the main focus of God in the relationship because you're a, you are the leader of the relationship and it can get you know times where it can get rough but at the end of the day that's why guys like it has to be three in a marriage like it take that's why i posted like what um, eddie was talking about like, it take two to get married but it take three to stay married because you're gonna have so many obstacles because you're dealing with a whole nother person whole nother person family they mama they brother you not i'm not necessarily you you're not gonna like all of them but it's a lot to deal with and in order for you to be sane like you have to have god or else it ain't gonna work i remember my grandfather told me when he proposed to uh, my grandmother, and like, you know how like he's like, most men expect like women to jump up and down screaming, talking about yes, and then like she kind of got like she kind of got mad. She was like, "Is you gonna keep God first? Like she kind of teed up on him. Like if you don't look, if you love me more than you love God, then you're not getting married. You feel me? And I kind of, I'm thinking, of, I've been thinking about that. I'm like, that's really kind of how it has to be. Like, if you love your wife more than you love God, it's not going to work. And that sounds crazy to, like, the world. Like, I don't know. It's, it, it, I'm glad I don't got to really explain it to y'all. But, like, it sounds crazy to the world, like, saying, like, you love God more than you love your wife. It's like, that's how I love my wife. And that's how I continue to love my wife. Because I love God. I keep I keep God before my wife. And if my wife don't keep God uh, before me, you feel me? It's not going to last that long. It might last like a, a year, a, a few years, but it's not, it's not, you're not going to make the whole stretch. You know what I mean? Andrew, I love that because I guarantee you, man, Jesus loves the father mm-hmm. more than he loves us. <laughs> and if he, and if he hadn't loved the father, right. Mm-hmm. And satisfied his will, we wouldn't be where we at, man. So that's a fantastic reality. You have to love 
God more than you love your spouse or else it's not going to work. And then Jesus says, you got to give up all things. You got to give up, you know, you got to love me more than you love everybody else in the world for this thing to work. Okay, I had another question. And it says, so if you love those who love you, what reward have you? You're not even the test collector do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the test collector do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect. Just as the Father in heaven is perfect. I'm going to keep it a stack. I really don't understand what, he, what he's saying for I don't know. Like, I can't even piece it together. Hopefully, hopefully it's, it's, it's more clear to what I'm making it out to be. But I just, my bad. So what was the verse that you read again? It was Matthew 5, 46. So something that, and this, this is something that God has helped me with um, to really understand like what Jesus is really getting at with this. I think when you're looking at who Jesus is talking to, you're looking at a people who kind of like perfected being hypocrites. And so who can like point at like, you know, the sins that other people did and say like, oh yeah, they're wrong. And then kind of like have a bunch of stuff that they know full good and well is wrong in their heart. But because the law didn't specifically say it, they were like, yeah, you guys are wrong loudly. And I'm kind of like wrong silently. So I'm a little bit better than you. And so Jesus in this whole passage is just like really like pointing the finger at a lot of the hypocrisies that were like prevalent in that time. And so he's like, you know, the scripture, yeah, the law might say like, you know, love your neighbor but I'm giving you another standard to live up to. And that's why Christ says, you know, I'm not coming to destroy this necessarily, but I'm coming so that it can be fulfilled. And this is how it's actually fulfilled because there's no power in law that a relationship doesn't have. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot that the law can do, but there's a lot more that a relationship does for people because in in the law, like, you know, there's only condemnation and that's even like mirrored by what's said in the Bible. But in true relationship, you're not doing something because, oh, I don't want to go to jail or I don't want to get busted or not or anything like that. It's because I truly love this person that I want to protect them in this way, whether that be friendships, you know, parent relationships, family relationships, all that good stuff, right? And so in 46, when he's like, you know, or I'll just read it again. In the ESV, it says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And so what Christ is really pointing to with those who he's saying, like, you know, like, yeah, you think you're doing something good because you're loving on your brothers. But I mean, that's not something that's really that special and divine. There's another standard that you're called to live to where you love your neighbors and your enemies to that same standard. And then he finishes it all up by saying, therefore, like be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect so that you then don't have an excuse of like, oh, well, you know, like this person did this to me. And it's only like, you know, natural that I not talk to them for the next 50 years. And Jesus is like, yeah, no, like cut all that in that like this is the real standard that I'm holding you to. Because it's like, and I think we talked about this last week, it's super easy to point out when somebody else isn't doing what they're supposed to do. But if you look at your life, then like, you know, evaluate yourself by that same standard, like there's a bunch of stuff that you'll figure out and see like, okay, I'm not like living up to this either. And so what really makes somebody a hypocrite is like them like pointing and saying like, oh, they're wrong, they're sinners. But then it's like, I go home, do the same stuff in privacy and I don't get caught. And so I feel much better. And it's just like, no, <laughs> like that's, that's not, that's not the standard. That's not what God has really called us to. Did that like help? Did that make sense? Answer the question or? Yeah, that did make a lot of sense. Cause like, I do one, like you said earlier, I do kind of, you got, you got to realize that that's kind of why he jumps around so much talking about different things, talking about the salt of the earth and then going down out to sinning and took on to adultery and talking about how loving neighbor. He's going around, like you said, uh, denouncing these uh, hypocrites, the, the theology of these different hypocrites. So that's why he jumped around. So to keep that at the forefront, that makes sense. One thing that I was kind of thinking about uh, going to verse 29 and 30, if your right eye caused you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for uh, that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And it's saying, talk about goes deeper into like the uh, same thing with the right hand. And I just kind of thought, like, at first, I like, I kind of look at it as a metaphor, but then, like, I feel like this also kind of complements the uh, scripture talking about sacrificing your flesh, 
like kind of in the same way, but like differently. Like, I don't know. I feel like they're not, they're not saying the same thing, but it's like they go hand to hand. Like, obviously, if your right hand, what I'm ever doing, what, what, what has ever caused me to sin, I feel like it's just saying, cut that off. You know what I mean? Like, do whatever you got to do to stop that. But in the same instance, like, let's say if for some reason, like my actual taking taking it literal, if my right hand, like my my flesh, is actually causing me to do something, if I if I have to cut this off and lose a part of my limb, so then when I actually go to heaven, my whole my whole soul is in heaven, even though if it's just like a a piece of my flesh is missing on earth, it's like basically that sounds kind of harsh, but it's like that's what you got to do. You feel me? You can look at it even like in relationships. Like it's some people, it's like you just can't hang out with no more because they cause you to sin. They like they're uh, uh leading you in different places. They're they're tempting you to do different things. So it's like you just got to cut that whole thing off. I, we've been friends for so long, or even mm-hmm. if I know I got cousins that I don't even talk to. Cause like every time I'm around you, I end up on the on the east side doing something I shouldn't be doing. So it's like I'm just <laughs> I'm done talking to you. You feel me? And it's like as as hard as it is, as close as we are, we blood and we're related, and I love you. I got to cut you off because you hindering me from pleasing the father. So it's like, we got to end this relationship. I know it's going to be, it's going to hurt. It's going to be damaged on both sides, but it's like, I got to do what I got to do to please my father. And that's really kind of how I look at it. Like really just obviously taking your eye out, cutting your hand out, cutting your hand off. is not comfortable. It's like, you got to do what you got to do to please your father. Yeah, man. Like this with you saying that has allowed me to recognize that. Like, I feel like the main purpose that Christ has this whole passage in Matthew 5 is more so for the, the radical Jews who thought that, you know, obedience to the law would give them, you know, everything that, that they thought they needed or that would it would give them their, their path to heaven. But it's, it was really Jesus showing that, like, your, yo, your obedience to the law is not good enough. Mm-hmm. In fact, let me let me set it to a higher standard just because you think that this is this is what you need. Like, in reality... It's showing you that how, how flawed we are in nature and how much we really do need Christ. And that just, just because like I can listen and obey some, some laws, great. But where's your relationship with God at? Like that's really the significant part. And so, because if we're so focused on what we can and cannot do, you're not really fully being yourself and, and living out your relationship with God. I think about how sometimes when you focus on the thing that you don't want to do or what you can't do, you end up wanting to do that thing or you end up doing that. Mm-hmm. So a couple examples, I think uh, when I used to play basketball in high school, like I would be so paranoid and so concerned to, of pleasing my coach that I would be like, man, like, don't do this. Zeke, don't mess up. Like Zeke, like, you know, don't, don't make a mistake. And I would go out and I would make mistakes and I wouldn't play well. And I would look like I'm trash because I was so concerned about pleasing my coach and not doing the wrong thing that I went out and I would do the wrong thing. And I would never be able, I was never able to fully play to my potential because I was concerned about what I can't do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about my mom too, for example, right? There are times where like, she, she had like some, some pretty like poor experiences with her mother and how her mom would like yell and scream and cuss people out and stuff. She would not want to like, live like that or repeat some of that stuff but now there's times where like I, I see like my mom like kind of doing the same behaviors of, of her mom of yelling and getting to a point to where like she's she's cussing and saying stuff that she doesn't want to say but it was like you were so focused on not doing what your mother did you end up doing it mm. and so mm-hmm. when you're so concerned and focused about what you don't want to do or what you're not trying to do you end up living like that, and instead of just being who you are, that's really what the faith the faith is about, and like really everything that, that in the Bible was said we're not supposed to do. Like I used to think that God just saying don't do it just because like it looked bad, or it's not even that. It's not even like if, if it's bad or not. It's just it's just the fact that it's hindering you from pleasing the Father. It's hindering you from your main purpose. You know, God's not saying don't do this because. I don't know, it just looked wrong, or I don't really like, I don't like that, so I don't want you to do it. You know what I mean? It's, he's, he's saying don't do it for, like, our benefit because our because our main purpose, our main goal, our sole purpose in life is to please the Father, to be a, a humble servant. So if you're doing something that 
is hindering you from being a humble servant, he's going to tell you don't do that. You know, even like he just said, like if you just, if you're focusing more on the rules and not what you like supposed to do, you know, like you kind of miss, you end up doing that that thing, kind of like in basketball, like when you play basketball, you, you don't really sit there and think like, okay, I have to dribble one hand. I can't dribble with two hands. When I dribble with two hands, I double dribble. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you don't sit there and you, you don't focus on the rules. You focus on like the main purpose. I got to get this basketball in the hoop. You know what I mean? And everything else just kind of seems to fall along. Like you, nobody like is, is sitting there rehearsing the rules in their head. You just focus on the main purpose on what you, what you're trying to do, like the main goal of why you're on the court. So even taking that into reality, when we focus, like you just said, you focus on the, on the like the little itsy bitsy things, like don't do this, don't do that. You missing the whole point. In the end, you end up, you probably ain't gonna end up, you're gonna end up doing it and missing your whole goal, kind of like the Pharisee. Like they missed the whole point. Like they missed it. They missed the mark. Cause like they were focused on like each and everything, do this and don't do that. Wow. And then Drew, I think, like you just said, if you're focused on the things that you do wrong. When you do them wrong, it gives power to that. Because then people are going to come back, oh, that's where you messed up. That's where you whatever. You can't do that again. Then your whole entire time, like you say, isn't focused on the goal, winning the game, conquering like Christ, right? Your whole focus is look at the little rules. And at that point, you lose. Wow. But the other point that you brought about, Drew, that I thought was powerful, and I think it's real, that scripture that you just brought out about different parts of our body, we are all a part of the body of Christ, right? And some people do some things and some people do others. But like you say, if you then go to the world and you keep following the people in the world that do these little small things, right? That's like them taking you mm-hmm. into the wrong direction. And that happens all the time, right? Because the world asks us to be loyal to them. I mean, that's real. The world definitely wants to be loyal to them. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and supporting our podcast. I hope this word blessed you. I hope it infects your spirit. I hope it gets into your personal life and you apply it to your daily life. Follow us at our Instagram account at WeRK4C. That's W-E-A-R-E-K-4C on Instagram. And have a blessed day, guys. Thank you guys so much.